Hi, I'm Steve Watson, the Maricopa County School Superintendent, and thank you for joining us for today's episode of Extra Credit, a podcast of the Maricopa County School Superintendent's Office. Joining me today is John Watson, the founder of Evergreen Education Group. He has two decades experience working with online learning and education technology. He's going to share with us some ideas around digital instruction in an era of COVID-19. John, we would love for you to tell us just a little bit about the Digital Learning Collaborative and your role and your goals and what you do there. We are, when you think about K-12 online blended digital and hybrid learning, all those different flavors, uh, we're about 20 to 25 years in, uh, meaning that the first online schools, the first online courses uh, were showing up in the late 1990s. And yet there's still a tremendous lack of information about what does online mean, what does blended mean, what does hybrid mean. Uh, there are all sorts of pockets of schools and districts uh, doing tremendous work that in a lot of cases tend to be overlooked. Our goal with the Digital Learning Collaborative is to bring together members who are interested in sharing best practices because it's still a field where people are constantly trying to get better uh, and also help to publicize their work, their best practices as well, because as I said, uh, th there's a, a lack of information and, and a lot of misunderstanding. I'll give you one very, very quick uh, example. We had, uh, when, when COVID was just emerging, I, I got a call from a reporter at a, a, a pretty major news outlet, national one, you, that you would recognize, uh, who, who said, uh, I, I want to interview you to ask, uh, do schools have the tools to be able to shift online? And, and my answer was schools have had the tools for 20 years. That's not the right question to be asking. The right question to be asking is, are they ready to make the shift? And, and I think that sense of, if you think about uh, still a fair number of policymakers, uh, folks in the media and others, don't have a real good sense of both what the real possibilities are and what the real challenges are around online hybrid and blended learning. I'll be honest. I hope that when we come out of COVID-19, education looks different on purpose. I know we've been really, really reactive to the COVID-19 situation, but this is an opportunity for us to really be creative and do some different things. And so how do we be a little bit more proactive in creating a, a blended learning landscape in the fall or beyond? There, there's a couple of really important starting points, I think. Um, and, and one of them is the idea that even in an online course or a fully online school where the teacher and student will never be face-to-face -face physically together, it's still that teacher-student relationship that matters more than anything else in, in uh, most students' education. And therefore, you need to make sure that teachers are, are getting comfortable with how do they communicate? How do they engage with students online? And what we have heard for literally 20 years is this pattern where teachers who have never taught online feel like they're going to lose a lot when they make that shift. They'll say, how am I ever going to have that same connection I have with my students face-to-face? -face? And then in the 
majority of cases, online teachers eventually say, this isn't the same, but I actually know my students incredibly well. There are some students who I may know better than I would have known otherwise. The students who sat in the back of the class and were shy and never raised a hand, they, they are, many of them are much more open to be, becoming engaged in that online environment. Now, I don't wanna sound like this is easy or, or it's a silver bullet because the flip side happens as well, the opposite. Students who are very engaged in that face-to-face -face class in the online environment, they may not be comfortable. So that teacher has to learn some of the tips and tricks around engaging with, with those students as well. But it starts with having with establishing that relationship. Uh, several years ago, actually a number of years ago, when you've been doing this a long time, <laughs> you, you, you tend to forget how long it's been. But this is probably more than a dozen years ago. We did a simple evaluation of uh, of one of the uh, an online school um, that it's it's providing courses at a distance to students who are enrolled in a in a brick and mortar school. And working with this school, we determined that one of the factors that predicted success in these courses was simply if the teacher reached out to every student within the first day that that student was in a course. To me, that just signifies that you can read these PhD thesis length studies of what are the things that you do, but you know what, you know what really worked? The simple act of if you're a teacher, you reaching out to me on that first day and saying something like, John, I see you're signed up for my course. I'm thrilled to have you. Wanna make sure that you know these things are going on. Wanna make sure that you're comfortable. Wanna make sure that you know that I'm here if you have any questions. Has you, you may notice I just set up three things which have nothing to do with the academic content whatsoever. It's let's establish that, that we have a relationship here. And that is the sort of thing that when we hear from successful online teachers and students who have been successful in this area as well. They're feeling that connection. Yeah, that's terrific. And to that point, as I was reading uh, one of the teacher um, kind of reviews or some teacher input, a few words that stood out to me were student voice, right? You just talked about that relationship between teacher and student. And specifically, it mentioned how student voice is potentially enhanced there's a, a, a teacher I remember speaking with in that same study that you're referencing, I believe, some of the teachers we, we spoke with for this study. And that teacher talked about the, the transformation in the classroom when she was able to give students the ability to say, I want to demonstrate my mastery of this topic by doing a slideshow or maybe a short video, or maybe we'll just talk about that, or maybe I'll, I'll take the, the more traditional exam. That is an approach that you can see being taken in a more traditional classroom, but the technology tools really make that so much easier for the teacher to say, look, we've been working on this unit. Let's say we're, we're working on this unit in US history. Here are the four or five different ways that you can demonstrate that what you've gotten out of this unit, as opposed to it's Thursday afternoon, we've got an hour, you're gonna take this test. And what these, what a lot of the teachers that we were speaking with would consistently talk about is, is their sense that students were more engaged because of the ways that they could demonstrate their mastery. And also 
the teacher sense that they were able to assess students in much more authentic ways than let's say a multiple choice test. Uh, they, uh, oftentimes they would just, they would reflect to me the way they, they would have conversations like you and I are having like this. And well, that's, that's one way to establish with somebody if they know what they're talking about, right? Whether, sure. you know, whether that's a, a, a student in, in any grade level, any subject area. Yeah, that that's terrific. Yeah, I'm just a we have a lot of conversations in my office around student voice and, and trying to give them opportunities to have a little bit more control over their edu- education. And so I think that's a spectacular kind of example of how this is a situation where it can actually enhance. You know, I, I don't think people are giving kind of blended and digital learning enough credit uh, for being its, its own valuable component to education, uh, especially in COVID-19. It does seem very reactionary. And so, you know, that's terrific. Some of, if I can add something to that yeah. very quickly, one of the things, there, there's a type of school that we're seeing um, emerging and they're, they're, they're still quite new. There's probably a few hundred of these schools and uh, we're calling them hybrid schools. And what we mean by hybrid school, and by the way, this is not a designation that sure. you'll find in any state education code or NCES or anything like that. But these hybrid schools, what we're finding, they're, they're typically, but not always high schools. And they are schools that have a building, but they also have a significant online remote learning component to them as well. And they, and they have different forms and flavors. Some of them will have students coming in. Every student comes in three times a week. Others, like in California, some of these schools are run under independent study laws in California. Students only have to come in as little as an hour a week, but the teacher will work with each student to determine how much time that student should spend in class. When we've spoken with these students at, at these types of schools, they're often choosing a, a school like this because they have what one school officially calls a pursuit. Every student in that school has a pursuit. A pursuit might be sports, it might be arts, dance, internship, career interests. A lot of these students will start taking college courses while they're in high school. Uh, Some of those college courses may be online, but some of these schools are located on community college campuses. And what we find is that these students become engaged in something that's bigger than a single course, bigger than a single school. It's about their life. And this is the, I feel like it's the most promising area around innovative uses of online learning in the sense that you combine the way that Students now are getting engaged. They, they, they have an interest. They have a pursuit. They see that in front of them. And it doesn't really matter what that is. It can be any of a variety of things. But there's something that they're interested in, and that drives their, their interest in school as well for a variety of reasons, sometimes because they may be pursuing a job or an internship or a college major, and they know that they need that particular area of school. Other times, it's simply a mindset of, I know what I need to do to, pr- to succeed in this sport or in this area of, art, of the arts. And I'm going to take that same mindset and I'm going to apply it to school for the simple reason that I know I need to pass and get out of high school and graduate to go do these other things that I want to do. In some of these hybrid schools, are they breaking the constraints of seat time and hours or the concept of a semester are we, do we have performance-based progression through our academic system? 
they are they are based uh, as a as a foundational element on eliminating barriers of time and space, and that is absolutely critical. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. I love that. Uh, we've been talking a lot about kids who are high school age, a little bit older, a little bit more mature. I've struggled just a little bit with my own eight-year-old uh, trying to get her online. I know my wife has, uh, you know, dedicated her life to making sure that we have our, our Zoom classroom call uh, set up, and today was our, our last one of the semester. What kind of what's an appropriate age? How do we how do we prepare kids at a younger age to do a digital component, and where do you see that kind of fitting in? It's a great question, and, and the starting point is is to understand, as you're alluding to, that if you're talking about online learning, online learning doesn't mean the same thing for a high school student as it means for, let's say, a second or third grader. Uh, and, and there are full-time online schools that serve elementary age students. Those schools understand a couple of things. One is there is a family member who is deeply involved in that child's education. You cannot imagine that a student is going to be sitting in front of a computer for five or six hours a day and and learning in that fashion. And so those schools are tapping into a family member. Some of them call that person a learning coach who's actively involved. That that person's not taking the place of a teacher. You still have an online teacher, but that person is heavily involved with both the, the student and the teacher. The second piece is you wanna work with those students in various ways that are offline. So if you're thinking about, let's say, science for a third grader, what can you have your third graders doing around going outside and finding insects and doing various things and coming back and talking about them or the plants outside? If you're thinking about um, different uh, books they may be reading or something they may be drawing, you know, you're giving them time completely away from the computer, completely away from being online. Those online schools that I talked about, they will ship students, especially again, the younger students, they will ship them materials, they'll ship them books. They recognize that that especially for these youngest students, a lot of times they wanna be reading a, a paper book. And, and so incorporating that mix of some online and some offline is, is so important. And then the other piece, I'll probably harp on the communication, engagement, et cetera, a number of times. So important to go in and be able to just talk with those students as, hey, what's going on? How are you doing today? What's what's going on with your with your cat, with your dog, <laughs> you know, your hamster, uh, your that your your older brother who's driving you crazy, you know, all those sorts of things. They those kinds of uh, connections showing that caring can happen remotely. It, sure. it just needs to happen a little bit differently. Yeah, and, and that's terrific. And just from personal experience, I, I really feel like our third grade teacher this year did a terrific job of making sure that relationship piece came through digitally. Um, maybe my daughter's favorite lesson was Reader's Theater, right? And so she was. She came home, she had a paper copy of a little performance that they were, they all had different roles that they were supposed to read, and they just yeah. happened to read it on Zoom as a classroom. And uh, sure. she had a terrific time. As we wrap up, what haven't we covered? What's that last piece of advice that you would give to a superintendent, to a principal who's trying to prepare for the unknown in this upcoming school year? Well, it actually comes from the way you frame the question. 
there are a lot of unknowns and that's not about to change. We are in a, in a period now where there's a huge set of known unknowns. We know that something's going to happen with COVID and we don't know what it is. And so the most experienced districts that we're hearing from are building for resilience and for flexibility. What I mean by resilience, resilience is, is the concept of building a system that can bounce back, that has flexibility built in such that if something goes wrong, it doesn't completely break the system. Maybe the system bends a little bit. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's acknowledge that if a district is mostly brick and mortar traditional schools, even to your point from earlier, what sorts of, of things can we now learn from this experience and really try to make some longer term changes? Some of those are gonna take longer to put in place. They're not gonna be ready in September, right? Instead of thinking in terms of either we have all those things 100% put together or our system isn't going to work. In other words, it's going to break. What are the types of things that we can start to put in place? Undoubtedly, some of that is getting a lot more of our teachers comfortable in that online environment. Another element, as we've talked about, is that element of planning. Think about, hey, what is this going to look like? Run a practice day. I mean, you know, some, some might say, wait, we just ran two practice months, but I would say, no, not really. It, it, that was the emergency version. When, when I mentioned these types of e-learning days or, or online snow days, many of these districts run a, a practice day when they don't need to, to see how it goes. Well, let's do that as well and, and take the time to reflect from teachers, from students, from parents, what worked well and what didn't work well and create these systems such that teachers, students, school leaders will be able to adapt as well. I think that school leaders, district leaders, teachers have done a remarkable job in a very short period of time into shifting to remote online learning. I also think across all of society, not just schools, people have been uh, quite flexible and quite forgiving in terms of, we, we understand that everybody's been thrown into this new normal uh, and, and that everybody's struggling day to day to figure out what's the, what's the best thing to do. I don't think that institutions are gonna have that kind of forgiveness in the fall. I think there's gonna be a sense of, okay, we've had some time now to figure this out. And if we're talking about some rolling school closures, if we're talking about some families, one, one of the things that we didn't talk about, but is the idea that maybe you're gonna see a school that's staying open, but you've got some students who might be in a family where their elderly grandparents live in the home with them. And maybe those families are gonna feel like, wait, I'm not sure I want my children in school five days a week for six hours a day. So my advice would be around accepting the fact that we're in a time when we don't know what's gonna happen in the fall and in the spring for that matter, building in as much flexibility as possible, looking to the examples of the online, the hybrid and the blended schools that already exist, looking for those examples within their own districts because there are pieces that exist in, in just about every district and putting that plan together for what school closures should look like. I, I think that's spectacular, and I think that's a, a great way to leave it because uh, that's the most phenomenal thing I've heard 
this is terrific. John, thank you so much for taking some time for us. We appreciate you. We know, especially right now, you've got to be a relatively busy guy, spend a lot of time on Zoom, and that you took some time for us. We really appreciate Glad to do it, Steve. The work that you're doing to help district leaders think about these issues is so critically important. So I, I appreciate the work that you're doing and the opportunity to be here with you today. Awesome. Thank you. I'd like to thank John for taking the time out of his busy schedule to talk to us about digital learning and the work that he's doing to improve education for kids all around the country. And we hope you'll join us next time as we talk with other education leaders about how to improve education for our students in Maricopa County and beyond.